Hi, I'm Tim Neubauer, and welcome back to our podcast, Training in the Metaverse. This is Lance Loesberg, my co-host. Today we're going to be talking about a touchy subject, the cost of this experience. Right. How, how do you how do we price this out? I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a a millionaire. I live in a tight budget. We all uh, we all have to live within our means. What are we talking about here? Uh, that's a great question, obviously, um, and it's an important question. And that's usually like the you know the number one or number two question in <laughs> in the, in the world. Um, and fortunately for us, of having done this for so many years, that uh, we have the capabilities of scaling to meet a budget's needs or, or limitations mm-hmm. or constraints. Um, so there's two aspects um, as far as in considering cost. One is the hardware aspect, and the other is the content part. So let's focus on content because I think that's uh, that's probably the scarier part for me. Sure. Uh, so we talk about what is involved in content development. Right. And um, the, the content development is uh, in creating these virtual reality worlds and mm-hmm. scenarios and, and what's going to be in it and things like that. And the cost of doing that is a very wide range and it ha- contains many, many variables. Um, so it's a matter of scoping out exactly what the um, uh, application or the training environment or environments or, or, or scenarios may be. Mm-hmm. And then then pricing or at least figuring out what it's going to cost to develop or create those worlds. So it's kind of like buying a car or house. You can add all those extra features on and drive that price up. Or, exactly. You can be or, very basic and, right. and, and plain, so to speak, or you mm-hmm. can keep adding features and more and more uh, aspects to it, which obviously will, will drive the cost up. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we're talking about the content development, um, you come out to the um, to the client's facility and film these or you have a like a 3d studio with green screens what what give me some options yeah so and and that's one of the beauties of it is that there are options so um from an economical standpoint when we go out and shoot in 360 video Mm -hmm. uh, it's usually done a lot faster um and more efficiently and obviously it creates real environments where it's, it's as it really is in, in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, the other option is to animate it or, or build it as a, in a gaming engine. So it's it's uh, more um, uh, an animated world type of thing, which takes longer and tends to be more expensive because of the time and development that's that's put into it. Right. So kind of walk me through this process. Uh, I, I, we, You and I agree we're, we're, we're going to do this deal mm-hmm. and you come out. How, how, how long does it take to film it? Uh, how long is it? I'm looking for production, pre-production, post-production, kind of walk me through the timeline and what am I looking at to actually not only produce the product, but but, uh, maybe how much you are in our facility. Okay. And and again, it's kind of like making a TV commercial or a mm-hmm. movie, and it, it, it depends. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we've, we've done uh, projects where we're only a few hours in a mm-hmm. location to be able to capture what's needed and, and create the scenarios that, that's, that's needed. And other times it takes a few days or several days. Um, we've traveled the globe and doing uh, various um, shoots at different types of locations around the world for um, making sure they're, they're, they're what the client wanted specifically for that people to experience when they they took the uh, virtual reality adventure, so to speak. So, um, I like again, it's, it, ma- it makes it makes a difference, uh, or, you know, depending on right. uh, what what we want to see. So, it, just to, to to summarize that, mm-hmm. there's the um, there you can do, it, and I'm, I'm looking for the right words. So there is the one that fits your budget, no matter what size that is. Right, and then you can have the one that is. Um, um, 
the more whistles and buzzers and features. And I was kind of chuckling in my head as I was describing that. Uh, several years ago, I, I actually um, uh, worked for a, a large uh, international, nationwide, uh, worldwide consulting company, and we were filming a video, and I wanted this uh, very unique thing. I wanted um, – uh, the quoting the movie The Matrix, I wanted that like that camera that goes all the way around, and and the and the director said, on your budget you get one camera. I can make the Matrix for you for one camera. So 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 it, in the end, it looked beautiful, right? You know, so so I get that the, you have the you have the uh, the right. You can you can get the product done at the right price yeah. within your budget, and and it's it's whatever whistles and buzzers you want. Yeah, and there's a perception too that it's astronomical, and it's not. Mm-hmm. It is very economical okay. uh, in comparison to other technologies that are out there. Um, an example from the uh, manufacturing side of the world is a major manufacturer that I won't name a client of ours mm-hmm. that. Um, Wanted to show that uh, not only for training purposes, but uh, they wanted to be able to show the advancement in technology from one of their factories that was in one state compared to a new innovative factory they had just completed in another state. Mm -hmm. So we traveled to the first factory, which was older, built in the 50s or 60s or whatever it may be, and it was like a mile long. And we spent a full day there and be able to get that uh, that experience of everything they wanted to, uh, the people to see or train or, or mm. environment they wanted to be in, and then be able to go to the newer factory, which took us like a couple hours because it was so so much. It was like a, not even a tenth of the size of the original one, and it just those advancements in technology and manufacturing, producing faster, more materials from that plant as opposed to the old one. Um, but it served as actually as a. It turned out that this particular project was utilized in multiple ways, not only for training, but also for recruiting and onboarding, mm-hmm. uh, uh, situation awareness or um, uh, familiarity of, of the facilities. Right. And then also they use it on Wall Street to help the investors understand the company and why their money, where their money's going. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, what you were describing, I was thinking, like, wow, that's a, that's like a proof of concept. Say, hey, you know, we want a lot more money to build more of these these plants so you don't have that mile-long inefficient Exactly. Yeah. Great. So switching gears back to... I, I get that we have different options for for uh, the the product, um, but let's talk about the hardware. Right. I mean, am I dropping a million dollars on these units, or or, or, or what am, what am I looking at for range? Sure. So you know, if you want to dip your toe in the water, mm-hmm. um, you know you we you, we have uh, applications that can be used with consumer hardware, so to speak. Okay. So there's off-the-shelf stuff that for you know a few hundred bot dollars, you could get a VR headset and you can get the virtual reality experience from that. And then from there, it kind of goes up to where, depending upon how you want to deploy these headsets and what um, you want the user to do and maybe what Ca- uh, data they want to capture, how you want to distribute or, or send out new content, uh, be able to manage those devices so that you know the usage of them, the health of those devices, um, and then you know upgrades and things like that from a software standpoint, and that 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 ticks the price up, but it could be as little as fifteen hundred dollars per okay. seat on, on that on that respect. All right, so so both of those come down to uh, price points of features, uh, quantity. Um, um, so this it's a variable, but we're not yeah. looking at uh, uh, something that's not uh, or, or is out of reach for a small company. These these you can make an affordable product for smaller uh, companies. Yeah, we can and we have. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Uh, great. Uh, that um, 
that wraps up our first session uh, of this um, of this podcast. We were talking about what is the price, uh, and, and and in summary, for me, it, it it basically came down to what are you looking for? You're looking for um, the basic model, so you can dip your toe in the water and deliver this product that's mm-hmm. at a high quality, but within your price. Or if you're going to be that multinational conglomerate and and have ten thousand, twenty thousand units out there, there's there, there's price ranges that fit everybody's need. There is, and and as a company, that's a, that's what we look to do, and that's to be able to work with our clients to make sure that we fit their needs and be able to scale to that as well. So um, it's, it, it, you know, creating that um, the application, fitting the hardware, the right hardware too, which is also important, which mm-hmm. hardware to use depending, uh, to meet the, not only their time constraints, but also the budget constraints. What, what happens when I, I, I don't want to bring these, these workers in since the pandemic, I don't want to bring them into to our facility. Right. Um, I don't want them to fly. Um, so some of these people are going to be taking this this uh, this training at home. How am I? What are, what are some challenges? I guess would be the first thing. What are some challenges, and how am I going to overcome them um, if they're going to be using these these units or taking this training at home? Um, well, major, the major challenge, I guess, would be that uh, once they get it, if you send them a VR headset, mm-hmm. actually, you'd have to either ship it to them in some way, shape, or form, which is mm-hmm. you know done every day. Um, that they get it and they actually use it, mm-hmm. and typically it's they're, when they they're going to use it if it if it's engaging, it works, compelling, and it, it's providing what it's meant to be. Right. If it's not any of those, then they're probably not going to use it, and that's the most important factor that we've seen is um, they're going to have to want to use it, and that's part of what we'd want to do is create it, uh, these applications so that they want to do it, mm-hmm. and they'll do it more often. So I'm at my house. Do I have to worry about bandwidth, or is there some? Uh, do I have to have software on my on my home computer to link these things? What what, are, what am I looking at? Yeah. So there's uh, a couple of different approaches um, mm-hmm. where we can provide everything that's self-contained to the headset itself. So when the trainee gets the headset, they put it on, basically turn it on with instruction how to turn it on, and then it it starts. It puts them where we want them to be right. to start the experience. Um, the and from there it it goes from how how much control we want over the devices, and then the what we want to capture. Uh, one simple way to do it is we can create an application which they could have any type of hardware, uh, headset or maybe, and um, they can download it from the App Store mm-hmm. and, then, and then do it that way. If it wants to be more of an enterprise level where they want to distribute to many people and they want to keep it kind of uniform of the devices that they use so they can make sure that it's, you know, they, they, they know everybody has the same experience, right. um, then we can create an enterprise type application, everything from not only the distribution of uh, the content, but also mm-hmm. managing the hardware devices for uh, their their health, battery health, and usage, uh, and and that type of thing. We also can push and receive content, whether it be the actual scenarios, new scenarios, mm-hmm. or upgrades, but also capture the data that's well, transmit the data that was captured from the uh, the device. D- device or the user experience mm-hmm. itself, and and bring that back to the company. So. <laughs> You mentioned enterprise. Uh, is that just like a tier of, of service, or is that something different? 
um, it, it, in a way, it is a, it's a tier of service, but it, it's it also has to be kind of built into the application or the okay. project, so to speak, so that you know, knowing that okay, you know, the company is has eight employees, or the company has eight thousand, or mm-hmm. however many it is, and how many you want to deploy or distribute these the training to, mm-hmm. and how they want to experience it. So we have to start and and figure out okay, we want to start here, we want to end up here, or we want to be able to just have this small amount or this this set amount and then go and find the best application for that. Okay. I'm I as an executive um I am concerned that when I give my my team members one of these devices at their house that they're going to be misusing them. Mm-hmm. Um are there safeguards in place? <laughs> You're laughing. Yeah, We've all lived this. <laughs> are there safeguards in place? Yeah. I mean, we're not talking physically losing. I'm talking about, you yes. know, yeah. doing other content or- Yes, and then that's that's definitely a, a concern that we we take in, into consideration as well. So, we can basically lock these things down so that they only use what they're intended to be used. Um, we can create a secret password or a mm-hmm. way or administrative type of a thing so they can get out of these 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 uh, applications to use or use it for other things as well. Right. Um, it just depends on what the, the client's needs and wants are um, from, from that perspective. Once again, I wasn't yeah. the first guy to think of that. So <laughs> as you were talking about it, I was like, wait a second, I'm going to get these guys their units at home mm-hmm. and they're going to be doing all kinds of things. And yeah, I could see a concern with that, learning how to fix their car on uh, right. uh, on virtual reality, um, which is not part of their job. Um, so uh, as, as we were talking earlier and we talked about um, – um, the bandwidth at the house, and you said mm-hmm. that there's an app to to go ahead and uh, take care of that. And we talked about being able to block it in there. Um, just, I, I'm concerned about um, a proprietary stuff that somebody else could uh, be watching my videos. Right, and that, that's an important thing. And privacy is, is actually you know paramount. And we uh, having deal with healthcare companies like HIPAA laws and things mm-hmm. like that. So we have ways to take these types of things in consideration. So one example would be that. The when the, the the trainee gets a VR headset, um, they don't have to access the internet or anything wireless at that point. They everything mm-hmm. self-contained in that headset, and so it doesn't go anywhere. It's just to that user, and we can also right. have make it password protected too. They have to enter a password to be able to open it up or mm-hmm. where it may be. Um, the other side of it is that uh, we can have transmitting uh, data. You know, over the internet via permissions. So mm-hmm. that's it's there. You know, whatever precautions are done in that that respect. Okay. Yeah. So so we we can lock it up. What about um, um, I want to do this training? Like yeah, I woke up at two a.m. and you know I let mm-hmm. the dogs out and I decide I want to take my training class. Can I do this at two a.m.? You can twenty four seven as much as you want. Uh, there's no limitations on time or and and frequency. That's one of the nice things about it. You know, the way somebody can't, somebody, the instructor calls in sick, you know, it doesn't affect you at all. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I can have five or six people at home doing this at the exact same time. You have five or five, 50,000. 50,000. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it may be. That's wow. correct. Yeah. So the, so the home really isn't a hurdle then. Um, or being remote, I, sh- I guess I should yeah, say. Yeah, remote. I mean, it, it could be used on an airplane. It could be used in a hotel, in a car, or where, wherever. Well, wherever hopefully the you're person, not driving. Not driving, right. Passenger in a car. <laughs> uh, so, the, yeah, it, that's that's the, one of the beauties of it. It, it is entirely remote. And, and, um, and, and again, depending on what the company's needs and desires mm-hmm. are, you know, we can make it so that it's not cloud-based where they have mm-hmm. to access the Internet to be able to 
do the you know, perform uh, these tasks. I see a lot of field-based people who will say, I don't have good bandwidth mm -hmm. at their house, at their apartment, at the hotel, and, and to have that loaded onto the actual device. The headset is yeah. it, it takes away all the argument. I know what they're going to say though. Yeah. They're going to say I don't have power. <laughs> they'll figure some way not to take the training. There's, but there's still battery powers in the headset that will run for a couple hours. Absolutely, no <laughs> absolutely. Well, you've overcame all my objections. I I don't have any more arguments. So the, the training at home works. Lance, we um, we were talking earlier about this. Uh, I think it was in our first podcast uh, about uh, high risk work. Um, and and I was talking with a uh, with a client of mine, and uh, he had talked about that. Uh, to see if there was an application to help him. And what he does is he goes up 2,000-foot-tall TV towers mm -hmm. and repairs it and changes the light at the top and, and sometimes the transmitters. And he said uh, uh, it's easy to train somebody to go up and down the ladder. It's hard to train them to get off the ladder 2,000 feet in the air. Sure. Is this something that, um, that we could uh, not, not test people, that's not the right word, but that I could give people the experience of being 2,000 feet in the air while they're actually standing on the ground. Is that yeah. something VR can help us with? That's a, that's a perfect example. And, and the idea or the premise is that we're going to recreate these worlds, these environments, these scenarios that these people are actually doing in real life. And in this case, what their fears are and how to step them through to overcome those kinds of fears. We work with psychologists on using example of virtual reality on how to, how to overcome the fear of heights is a perfect example which mm -hmm. this would be so what we do is we basically we can recreate the exact scenario and as he steps off the ladder and what he sees because when you're immersed inside of this world wherever you look is as it would be in real life it's not a flat screen I'm thinking it's not you as a cameraman up 2,000 feet in the air <laughs> I don't know who is, but I'm not volunteering on that one. Yeah, we're specialists for that. Okay, great. So on the other end of that spectrum is confined space, where I'm going to go into a, a small space. And, and uh, uh, I have a, another client uh, from a number of years ago that had a um, – um, a piece or a part of a, of a, I'm going to call it a machine. Right. Uh, and uh, they have to go in there, and uh, as a manufacturer, they have to to seal it from the inside mm -hmm. and to send somebody through a very small hole right. to crawl through these baffles. And it's definitely a permit-required confined space. Okay. Um, but they had actually built a mock-up with all these doors so that mm -hmm. somebody would go inside there, have a panic attack, or not be able to get out. They could open the door. Mm -hmm. uh, how could VR uh, 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 experience help um, prevent that from happening. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same scenario type thing where we recreate that same environment. Mm -hmm. And then the, the individual can have that experience of what it's like to really be there without being there. Mm -hmm. So when they, if they do develop a fear or get anxiety or, or whatever it may be, they can simply just take off the headset and they're back to the real world. At least they know they're sitting in their living room or wherever it is they're taking the experience. But again, it's exposing them to that environment over and over again, or it may just be step by step by step, right. and just to get them more accustomed to it. But the, the the risk factor and the fear factor typically will be overcome in in a, in a process that they're more comfortable in dealing with those kinds of scenarios. Hate to put you in a spot, but is there any other any other really good examples that you've had experience with uh, with these overcoming fears and, and hazardous situations that you can think of? Uh, well, confined spaces is a perfect example as well. Right. I mean, and where it might be more risk related as far as you know, dangerous things could happen, mm -hmm. even life threatening kind of things could happen, and that's another perfect example where virtual reality can be used in confined spaces. As you well know, all the different things that that could happen in in such a such a scenario. So you not only would it be overcoming 
fears of the confined space, but we could actually do a, a decision tree analysis where somebody could say go or not go, uh, identify a hazard, right. go, no go, and then when they're actually in there, they're in the space uh, on there. So how does it – you know, I, I wore a set of goggles, uh, uh, the headset, I don't know, four or five years ago, mm-hmm. um, and, and, I, and I really I, – I, I, I loved it, but – I don't really go through that kind of training, so I don't get the experience as often as, as other people do. Kind of tell me what it's like. Um, you know, what makes it so immersive? Yeah, and, and that's that's the hard, That's probably the hardest question to answer because until you put the headset on, you mm-hmm. really can't explain it. Okay, and it's 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 as close to real life as it, as you can possibly imagine it, it to be, and and it can. I've seen people sweat in, mm-hmm. in certain situations. I've seen people jump, scream, <laughs> laugh, cry. Um, so it, 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 everybody takes it a little bit differently. Right. But it, it, it's as next to real life as, as you can possibly be. So this is, this is going to be a tough question. Um, uh, you're taking away the danger of me crying up a 2,000-foot tower. You're taking away the danger of me going into a very small space. Are there any dangers of using virtual reality and putting that headset on? There, there is a very small percentage. I think it's less than 1%. I don't know the exact number, but um, that people experience some kind of vertigo. Mm-hmm. And that's typically what the, the objection or what the, the issue might be. Right. There's always going to be a percentage of the population out there that gets car sick, for example. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with this. Um, they're going to they're gonna experience a little bit of vertigo. And they may not be able to do it at all, or maybe they'll be able to overcome it over time. Um, but outside of that, the, there's... there's there's no harm that that's been known as of yet. There's a lot of studies and various types of you know effects and how it has, but um, that's that's probably the number one concern. Interesting. Uh, no, just vertigo kind of things, and you could pull the goggles off and your and, headset yeah. off, and, and then back and, and back to well as normal as normal uh, is. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, well, uh, we're going to wrap up our, our, our session here uh, on uh, the VR costs and, and risks. Uh, in this uh, in this uh, uh, podcast, we talked about um, the tight budget, and we broke it up into two different uh, zones. There's a production of the uh, of, of the actual experience, and then the um, the content, mm-hmm. and then the cost of the physical hardware. And in both cases, it came down to how. Um, uh, how many whistles and buzzers do you want? Uh, what is your budget at? Um, you know, we all want the uh, uh, the Lamborghini, and, and we we afford something a little less than that. Um, uh, we talked about uh, my hesitation of bringing people back into a classroom or bringing them into work, and uh, you very uh, 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 eloquently shot down every last one of my objections <laughs> about, hey, we can't do this at home. So, th- th- folks, I'm telling you, this was uh, a slam dunk for me. These things can be used in your home, on the road, wherever. Uh, and then we talked about some of the dangers um of, of doing training in the real world and how virtual reality can can minimize or at least help people work through the processes and, and a very minimal risk hazard of vertigo in a small percentage of population. I, I think that covers about everything that we talked about here. Um, uh, so while we're uh, wrapping this up, uh, I'm Tim Neubauer. This is Training in the Metaverse, and my uh, co-host is Lance Lowesberg. 